Good morning. morning. Pastor Jeremy will be uh, back next Sunday, but you uh, you have the privilege of Pastor Rich in the pulpit this morning. I want to begin by saying, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's only five weeks until Christmas. Uh, Check that. There's only four weeks until Christmas. And uh, if you're like me, there's a little bit of shock and awe in that realization. Because there are more things needing to be done between now and Christmas than there are hours between now and Christmas in which to do them. So many of us go through the holiday seasons pretty much in shock and awe. As we should. We should be absolutely in shock and awe and totally stunned by Christmas. To think that the infinite became finite, that the eternal became temporal, that the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe left the glory of heaven and came to earth as an infant born of a peasant girl. It should stun us. It should shock us. It should awe us. It's really easy for that to just kind of go right by us because we're so used to it. But we should be in awe. We should be stunned throughout the Christmas season. All of Advent, we should just be like, wow, what a huge act of humility for God to come and visit our planet. With that said, I have a sign here. It says children. I'm assuming that's release the children to Children's Church. (laughs) So... after you get over being stunned, if the children <laughs> could recover from their stunning and uh, head to Children's Church, that would be great. Parents, you may need to, to shake them a little bit to get them out of their state. Hey, this morning we're going to continue our study in Luke. We're going to be in the fifth chapter of Luke, looking at verses 12 through 16. And then after we look at that passage, I want us to go back and we're going to do a speed, a speed review of the first four and a half chapters of Luke and how I believe those four and a half chapters relate to Christmas. I actually think that all of Luke to date, everything that we've studied, there's a theme here that really relates to Christmas, and that's where we're going to go at the end and try to tie this all together, because it is the first Sunday of Advent. There's four uh, candles, which means there are four weeks until Christmas. In case there was any uh, confusion on that, it is four. That is the right answer. Hey, uh, I, uh, I oscillate between arrogance and insecurity. Yeah, you might relate to that. So uh, I'd appreciate it if we could start with prayer before we go to the scriptures. If you could pray uh, for me now, that would be wonderful. And don't feel like you have to stop praying for me. You can pray for me throughout this message. That would be, be greatly appreciated. Quite seriously. Let's pray. God, we believe you are here this morning. It's only with that confidence that I dare to stand before your people and open your word. Lord, I am unworthy of the task. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit that you would fill the folks in this congregation with your Holy Spirit, that you would open their minds and their hearts and their eyes to the truth of your word, that you would keep them awake, that they would be able to attend to your truth. Lord, that we would go away from here this morning, you having spoken to us in a clear and a true and a powerful way, and that you might use your word to change our lives. So be with us now, Lord, as we open your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. The people of the Lord said? We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. It's the story of Jesus encountering a leper. 
It's on page 1019 in your pew Bibles. If you have a New International Version translation, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to have us read just a couple of verses together uh, in unison. But don't do that if you have like a King James or or a New American Standard or a different translation because that would really be confusing for us. So if you have a New International Version um, or if you're using the Pew Bible, let's, let's read verses 12 and 13 together. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So a man covered with leprosy comes to Jesus. It's interesting that Luke, the doctor, notes that he's covered with leprosy. Leprosy referred to a variety of uh, skin diseases. They were all thought to be contagious. Not all of them were contagious, but they were all thought to be contagious. Some were deadly, some were terminal, some weren't. But they all got lumped together in this category of leprosy. If you had leprosy, you were sent to a priest. If you had a skin disease, you were sent to a priest. The priest would check you out and determine whether you were leprous or not. If you were leprous, there were then some rules that you had to follow, some guidelines that controlled your behavior. In fact, in Leviticus, the 13th chapter, here's what it says about people with these, uh, with these diseases. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, sounds a little bit like a youth pastor, Cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. If you were determined by a priest to have leprosy, that was your fate. You could no longer live in the town or in the city. You had to live in a leper colony outside the walls of the city. In fact, in Jesus' day, if you wanted to come into town to buy food, you had to ring a bell and yell, unclean, unclean, so it gave all the clean people ample opportunity to get out of your way so they wouldn't come near you. So that was the fate of a leper. I was going to say that a a leper was kind of at the bottom rung of the the social ladder of, of the day, but actually the leper wasn't even on the social ladder. He wasn't even on the social ladder. He was completely removed from society. So a leper comes to Jesus and he's covered with leprosy and he sees Jesus and he falls on his face to the ground and begs with Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, if you were here last week for Jeremy's sermon, to quote Yogi Berra, this is kind of like deja vu all over again. Do you guys remember... Simon Peter's response to the great catch of fish, he fell on his face before Jesus, saying, "Ah, get away from me, Lord. I'm not a clean person. I'm an unworthy person. I don't deserve to be in your presence. And here comes the leper, painfully aware of how unworthy and how unclean he is. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet. How about us? 
Isn't God lucky to have us on his team? Come on now. We're all pretty attractive, well-adjusted people, for the most part. We're decent. We're decent. And God's fortunate to have us. You know, there are other congregations throughout the country that don't look as clean and nice and intelligent and educated and affluent as us. That's true. We're pretty good looking, pretty attractive, pretty together people. This is genuinely a shame because only people who are truly aware of just how downright nasty and offensive we are in God's sight have any chance of getting into God's kingdom. The leper, he knew where he stood before the average person, let alone before the Son of God. He knew he was unclean. He knew he was unworthy. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet. So are we walking with our heads held high or are we on our faces? If Jesus Christ were to walk down the aisle this morning, would we all flock around him and try to get his autograph? Could you autograph my Bible right here? Too rich. Love Jesus. Or would we fall on our faces aware of just how sinful and unworthy Forgiven, yes, but still sinful and worthy to be in the presence of the Lord. The leper knew. The leper threw himself at Jesus' feet. And then Jesus does the most amazing thing. I'm sure, I have no doubt in my mind, using my sanctified imagination, I'm completely confident that the crowd was absolutely stunned when this happened even more stunned than the children before they were released, were released to Children's Church. I mean, Jesus did something that nobody did. When you were a little kid, you learned that you didn't touch lepers. That was like a duh. You don't cross the street without looking both ways. You don't put your hand on lepers. I mean, this is a no-brainer. You don't put your hand on the fire. No. Duh. Jesus says reached down. Reached out. It says reached out, but you know what? He had to have reached down. Because where's the leper? The leper's on his face. Now, it doesn't say whether he was like flat on his stomach on his face or on his knees with his head bent down. But if your face is on the ground, try it sometime. Try putting your face on the ground without being bent over. <laughs> it doesn't work. So no matter how the leper was positioned, Jesus had to reach down in order to touch him. I'm guessing, in my imagination, that Jesus probably got down on one knee put his hand on the leper's head. It doesn't say that. might have been his back, might have been his shoulder, might have grabbed his arm. But it does say that he reached out his hand and touched the untouchable. I am willing, he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. I've read this story so many times and I've told it to high school and middle school kids so many times, it kind of loses a little bit of its, its awe and shock and stun because it's just something that Jesus did. But it's something that no one else would have done. What an act of humility we have first from the leper to throw himself on his face. If it's my stockbroker, 
going to wait till tomorrow when the market's open. The leper comes in great humility, but Jesus out-humbles the leper. The leper deserved from his, from his uh, culture to not even come close to Jesus, let alone throw his face in front of Jesus. The leper deserved to be kept outside the social boundaries. That was his condition. He was humble whether he wanted to be humble or not. But Jesus comes and by choice does an incredible act of humility. Gets down and touches the lowest of the lowest and says immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus Christ got his hands dirty caring for the needs of other people. Jesus Christ got his hands dirty serving and caring for the needs of other people. He got his hands dirty with mud and saliva when he stuck them on the blind man's eyes. He got his hands full of dirt and grime when he washed his disciples' feet. And he got his hands, his callous, rough carpenter hands, splintered and bloodied when nails were driven through his wrists on the cross. The God of the universe that came to earth as an infant humbled himself time and time again and ultimately to the point of giving his life for us A week ago, yesterday, I had an event with middle school kids, and I came to the church early to get ready for the event. The church was really cold, and I went and turned the thermostat up in the fellowship hall, and it didn't do anything. And I went in the burner room, and the burner wasn't burning. So I made some phone calls, and we got the oil guy to come out. And the oil guy came, and uh, he went in and did whatever oil guys do to get the burners going. And he came out, and uh, after about 45 minutes, he was done, and everything was good. I was thankful because I figured the next morning in church it would be nice if there was some heat in the sanctuary. So I went to shake the, the boiler man's hand because he came out on a Saturday evening on short notice. And I looked at his hands, and you know what? This was a Caucasian man, but his hands were jet black. They were covered with grease and oil, both of them. So I kind of did the... Uh, the <laughs> we were in the kitchen, church kitchen. I kind of did the, uh, oh yeah, and I, uh, and I said, you know what? Uh, the thing's right over here, and here's some soap. And um, if you want to wash up before you go home. And he did, but it didn't work well enough, so he went out to his truck and got his own soap and brought it in, and he cleaned himself up. And after his hands were nice and clean and wiped the rest of the remaining grease on Flo's dish towels. <laughs> Sorry, Flo, but he did. Then I shook his hand, and he left, and everything was great. You know what? I'm not willing to shake a dirty hand, because I'm a pretty clean guy. And I don't want to get dirt on me. And that seems reasonable. But Jesus was willing to get dead skin under his fingernails touching a leper. What an act of humility. Hey, I promised you guys, or I threatened you guys at the beginning of this message, that after we looked at the, the leper, we'd go back and kind of do a speed review of Luke. And uh, keeping this, this act of, of humble service in mind, let's go back to the beginning of Luke and kind of uh, cruise through it and see what themes 
that relate to Christmas we can find in, in Luke. If you, uh, if you want, uh, there's a piece of paper that looks like this. It says the Christmas story, Luke 1 through 5. And there's two parallel, those are supposed to be ladders. There's two parallel ladders numbered 1 through 5 on the left and 1 through 5 plus a bonus on the right. If you want, you can fill this, uh, these ladders in if that helps you uh, pay attention and remember. If not, just ignore it. But let's go back to Luke 1 and walk our way through the first four and a half chapters of Luke, keeping Christmas and the humility of, of God descending to earth in mind. I think we get a, uh, a pattern here, an example for us to follow. You know, years ago, a few years ago, there was this big uh, marketing movement towards WWJD. You know, what would Jesus do? You ever have one of those little bracelets? Kids are wearing the bracelets. I think the better question is, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? So let's, let's look at, uh, at Luke 1. Luke 1 is kind of setting the stage for Luke 2, getting things ready for the incarnation, God coming to earth with skin on. We move to Luke 2 and we have the birth of Jesus, the greatest act of humility ever in the history. Of, in the history. God comes to earth in the infant Jesus. Then we move ahead to uh, Luke chapter 2. Excuse me, Luke chapter 3. He's born, he's born into the manger, into the, the animal feeding trough in Luke 2. And then in Luke 3, he begins his ministry. And one of the first things he does when he starts his ministry at around age 30 is even though he's without sin, he goes out to the wilderness where John the baptizer is, Jesus gets baptized. Luke uh, 3.21, I believe. Yeah, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, I know, because I've talked to some of you, I know there's some folks here this morning who are reluctant to become members of South Shore Baptist Church because right back here, sometimes, every quarter, there's a bunch of water. And it's a humbling thing with dry clothes to go into the water and be dunked and taken out. It's a humbling thing to stand before the congregation and admit that you're a miserable sinner in need of God's forgiveness. Baptism is an act of humility. God humbles himself in coming to earth. That's the first rung of the ladder. This is a humility ladder here. So rung one is heaven to earth. Rung two is baptism. What an incredible act of humility for Jesus, the one without sin, the only one without sin, to go and be baptized. All right, but his humility keeps going. We keep going down the ladder here. If you turn to uh, Luke 4, Jesus goes back to his hometown, to Nazareth, and he preaches one of his first sermons from Isaiah. And uh, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he goes on to preach on that text, saying, I'm the guy, I'm fulfilling that. And you know what the folks in Nazareth do? They pick him up, put him on their shoulders, and they parade around town saying, hey, Jesus, he's from our hometown. Let's declare today Jesus' day. Every year we'll celebrate Jesus because he's an amazing prophet and he's from our hometown. Is that what it says? No, not even close. They did that with Tim Harrison when he won the state championship in wrestling back in Pennsylvania when he was in high school. Some of you know Tim, he's with the Lord now. But they didn't do it for Jesus. You know his hometown, their response to his preaching? 
They tried to kill him. They ran him out of town. He was rejected in his hometown. I'm from Hingham, but we won't go there. <laughs> Third on the, uh, the humility ladder here, after baptism, rejection. Okay, so now we move to uh, last week's sermon, beginning of Luke 5. This is all humility, all tying into Christmas. Jesus calls his first disciples. It's his first day on college campus, and he's like, I'm going to pick my friends. Who are my friends going to be? And he looks around for the most athletic, attractive, intelligent, wealthy kids he can find at school, and he says, I want to hang out with them. And he makes an effort to go meet those people, get to know them. Now he doesn't do that at all. It's humbling enough to leave heaven and come to earth. I mean, that's the ultimate humility. But when he's here, rather than choosing like political leaders or religious leaders or rich people or influential people or social hierarchy, Jesus picks 12 guys to hang out with them. Four of them are fishermen. Now, if there are any commercial fishermen here this morning, my apologies in advance. Uh, no offense intended. But back then and today, typically, commercial fishermen aren't like the wealthiest or best educated or even the most civil guys. They're often hardworking. These guys were probably very honest. Jesus picks four fishermen. And you know what? A little aside here. They were lousy fishermen. They weren't very good at what they did. You know how I know that? There's only two times in the scriptures where it talks about how much fish they caught when they went out. Here in Luke 5 and also in John 21. You can turn there if you don't believe me. Those are the only two times that they talk about how many fish they caught before Jesus gave them some miraculous help. You know how many fish they caught both of those nights? Yeah. Zero. None. Hopefully they caught fish occasionally. <laughs> they own their own boats. They own their own boats. That's good. You know, they had their own nets. They had their own business. So they must have had some success, but they weren't the best fishermen in the lake that night at least. They hadn't caught anything. Jesus picks four fishermen a little bit further on in, in Luke 5, which Jeremy will get to a little later. He picks a tax collector. You know, Luke was a doctor. You look at these guys. They were just, at best, regular guys. They were just working class regular guys. Jesus is God. Like, if I was going to humble myself and come to earth, I'd at least hang out with, you know, the beautiful people rich and famous, the folks that could get, you know, get my message out. You know, out in Hollywood, those people have, have influence. They can, they can put my message before. Jesus humbled himself in his selection of his friends. So yeah, the fourth uh, rung on the ladder is a downward social mobility when it comes to choosing friends. And then we have the leper. The fifth rung on the ladder of humility. Go to Luke 5, verses 12 through 16. We have Jesus serving the needs of others. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The God of the universe in human form actually serving and waiting on and taking care of the physical needs of the people that he created and the people he's sovereign over. So serving the needs of others. So that's kind of a, my humility ladder from the first four and a half verses, chapters excuse me, of Luke. How does it tie to Christmas? 
Christmas is the greatest act of humility of the five of them. So uh, now we move over to the ladder on the right. And this is our ladder, our humility ladder. First wrong I put down, conversion. Going from death to life. Going from darkness to light. It's a huge act of humility to fall on our face before God, to cry out that we're not worthy, to cry out that we've tried to live life our way and we've messed it up and we're deserving of God's punishment. To say there's no hope for us to get right with God through our own efforts. We've tried and we're not able to do it. To throw ourselves in our faces and to cry out for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a big act of humility. One thing I love about the church is it's full of people who have made at least that step of humility. That first, that first rung on the ladder. Humility. If you're, if you're not on the ladder yet, I would pray that the, this Advent would be a time of decision for you to get on the ladder. To recognize where you stand before a holy and righteous God. To throw your face on the ground and cry out for mercy. It's available to us only through the Lord Jesus Christ, through what he's done for us on the cross, and the power of the resurrection. At the end of this service, we're going to have uh, the Lord's table. After the Lord's table, will be some folks out here who would love to talk with you more about how you can get on the ladder if you're not on the ladder this morning. They would love to talk with you and pray with you and show you uh, how to take that first step crying out for God's mercy and his grace in Jesus Christ. So that's the first run, conversion. And then the second run, these, these kind of parallel each other. Baptism. Baptism. You know, as Baptists, we want everybody to be baptized because we just think it's the coolest thing in the world. But it's not just the coolest thing in the world and it's not just commanded in the, in the scriptures. You go through Acts and it's like, repent and be baptized. That's what we're told to do. It's modeled for us by our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just a public proclamation of our faith, which it is, but it's also a public act of humility. If we're supposed to be like Jesus, we need to get lower. We need to go down the rungs of the humility ladder. That's what we need to do if we're going to follow Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. So baptism. Maybe, uh, maybe this Advent season, we need to talk to God, see if this is a, a time when you'd be willing to take the plunge. Pastor Seth's going to have a baptism and new members class starting up in January. It'll be a baptism sometime in uh, late January. So if you're interested in baptism, you can talk to Pastor Seth. All right, third run, rejection. Rejection. When I uh, first came to, to put my faith in Jesus, I went and told my family because I was all excited about it. And my family, they're Unitarians. Some of you go, yeah, Unitarians. Some of you don't know what a Unitarian is. Well, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus was God, come to earth. They don't believe in sin. Their worldview is completely different than mine. And they're like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's a passing you know, phase you're going through. They kind of smile. Until I went to seminary, they're like, oh, maybe it isn't just a phase. Maybe he's serious about this. You know, my family didn't totally kick me out and not let me go to you know, family gatherings anymore. But there was a serious amount of rejection. We just have completely different worldviews. Rejection. Have you come out of the closet with your faith? Or has someone outed you? Do your family members know 
about your personal faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have co-workers at work? No. Does your boss know? Do your old hometown friends know? Third step, third rung, rejection. Are you willing to be humbled by being rejected by some of those folks that you've known a long time when they find out that you've put your faith in Jesus? All right, rung number four. Are we willing to be humbled by being socially downwardly mobile? When I first came to faith, I came to faith in Jesus through a parachurch ministry, and the people in this ministry were attractive, athletic, and fun, and I loved hanging out with them. And I went to church, and those people were nerdy. I mean, they were not fun. They were serious, and they were not nearly as cool as I thought I was, and I didn't want anything to do with God's people. I'm like, they are way below me. I'm hanging out over here. Now, I praise God that my best friends now are here at Social Baptist Church. There are wonderful people here. And I am blessed and my family is blessed to have a faith community such as this one. But when I was first a believer, I thought I was better than the folks that were in church. Because they were a bunch of lame-o, needy, wimpy people. And I didn't want to hang out with them. I'm just telling you the truth. Now, I don't know how you feel this morning. I don't know where you're at on your descent down the humility ladder. But if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be downwardly mobile socially. Jesus hung out with people below him. Now, was it possible for Jesus to hang out with people above him? I mean, there was nowhere for Jesus to go in the social mobility ladder but downward. I mean, obviously, he's at the top. But even as a human, he lowered himself. He lowered himself. He hung out with tax collectors. So for his friends, who are you choosing to hang out with? Will you humble yourself and hang out with God's people? Maybe uh, you've never been in a small group Bible study. Maybe you can, you know, get connected to one and maybe get to know, build some relationships with some of the, uh, the nerdy, dorky church people here at Southshire Baptist. You may find out that we're just as nerdy and dorky as you thought, but that we love the Lord, and it's where you need to be. All right, fifth rung going down on our side. Serving others. Serving others. You know, there are lots of formal ways to do ministry. You can become a youth pastor. You can go to seminary. Um, but there's lots of informal ways. We are in need of people to help and work and serve this church. But I don't want to appeal to you on the basis of our need because God is going to provide for our needs whether he uses you or not. If we have needs here at Sasha Baptist, God's going to take care of them. So it's not about us. It's not like the ministry heads came to me and said, hey, could you plug my ministry because I really need some folks in the nursery. No. But there are real needs at the church, with that said. Can you serve weekly? We need ushers. We need nursery people. We need folks that can move chairs and tables around throughout the week. There's all kinds of ways to serve. If you can't do it weekly, could you do it monthly? If you can't do it monthly, could you do it just Christmas Eve? But you don't have to come and serve in a formal ministry of Sasha Baptist to get onto rung number five. You can serve wherever you are. Guys, you can serve by unloading the dishwasher when you first get up in the morning. I did that this morning. I don't usually do it. I did it because I knew what I was preaching on this morning. (laughs) That's true. I do it occasionally, not consistently. 
High school kids, you know how you can serve? You can make your bed and clean your room without your parents asking you. Or take out the trash just because you see that it's full without threat of whatever the threat might be in your family. <laughs> There's an endless way in which we can serve. Hey, here's one way I want to challenge us all to serve. You know the WWJD thing? I came up with WWJP. Where would Jesus park? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Think about it. This is the church I want to go to. I want to drive and visit a church, and I want to show up at that church, and I want to pull into the parking lot, and I want to see all the furthest spaces away from the church taken, and the closest spaces left. I want to see a church where the people are putting the needs of others ahead of themselves. Now, if you're hurt, you know, if you just had hip surgery, or if, uh, or if, uh, you know, if, if you're elderly, excuse me, if you're a senior, if, uh, if you have some challenges, park close, absolutely. But if you're healthy, park far away and serve those that are going to come later. The ones that come later are going to be in a hurry because they're late. Just a you know, tiny little thing. You know, when you're at the supermarket and you're walking from your car to the supermarket, how many shopping carts do you walk by that aren't like where they're supposed to be, that you could just take and push into the supermarket. Stupid little stuff. Nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. doesn't matter. But it's an attitude of serving, looking for ways to serve other people. Whether or not anyone even notices. So rung number five is serving others. Formal ministries or otherwise. And then the bonus rung, the bonus rung, we didn't read these verses, but in the last two verses from this morning's passage here, Jesus tells uh, the leper to keep his trap shut. Not quite those words, but basically tells him to be quiet about this. Go to the priest. Let, you know, the priest had to say, hey, you're, you're healed. You're no longer a leper. Give him the formal stamp, no longer a leper thing. And then just be quiet about it. But what does he do? He goes and blabs. In fact, Mark records the same the same account. Let's see if I can find it here. Mark 1.45. Mark records it this way. The leper went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. A little irony here. Jesus gives us the Great Commission to go and tell everybody. And we keep quiet. Jesus tells the leper, hey, keep quiet. And he goes and blabs. I'm like, there's something wrong with this picture. Why did the leper go and blab when he had been told not to? How could he not? He was a leper. He lived out there. He yelled, unclean, unclean. And now he's healed. You don't think he's going to tell everybody he meets? Hey, I used to be a leper. You won't believe this guy touched me and I'm healed. He didn't have any choice. He couldn't help himself. You know, anybody here knows someone that just talks about Jesus just a little bit too much? You know, it's okay to talk about him some. I and mean, if you're church, maybe a little bit more, but like... You know, could you just kind of tone it down a little bit? I have to confess, there are times I feel that way about some of you guys in the congregation. Like, she's a wonderful lady, but she just talks about Jesus too much. Hello? The bonus run here is become one of them. My parents think that I've become one of them. And you know what that one of them is, right? One of those crazy, moral majority, Jerry Falwell, fill in the blank, extreme off the charts, crazy Jesus person, and all they want to talk about is sin and salvation in Jesus. Well, it's true, but it's humbling. 
You want to be humble? Start sharing your faith with other people. Don't just come out of the closet with your own faith, but start actually trying to influence others in the direction of Jesus Christ. And you'll be humble. But that's what Christmas is all about. Getting lower. Following Jesus in humility. Let's pray, and then Seth's going to come and lead us to the Lord's table. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your great act of humility that first Christmas. Lord, I pray that this Advent we would indeed be in shock and awe, that we would be stunned at what you have done for us. Father, you humbled yourself in a way we can't even comprehend and then continued to humble yourself through baptism, through choosing your friends, through serving the lowly. Lord, you, uh, you modeled for us and commanded us to follow you in humility. I confess that I don't go there willingly. Lord, I pray that you would place it upon our hearts to challenge us to take the next step down on that ladder of humility this Advent, whatever that step might be for us. pray that it would bring you pleasure and glory if we do so. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. People, Lord said. Jesus made himself nothing for us. He made himself poor that we might be rich in him. He gave himself for us.